What's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, I speak with Grammy-nominated musician, multi-instrumentalist, world music pioneer, and one of my favorite kirtanwalas, Jayutal. We talk about his path through sacred chanting, the evolution of the Western kirtan scene over the past several decades, the line that separates cultural appropriation from cultural appreciation, and much more. Hope you enjoy it. You know, in the Western kirtan community, you're certainly well-known. But for the Hindu audience, the audience's podcast is largely the Indian diaspora. How did you start down the path that you're on now? How, how did it all begin? Well, <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, I've been a musician, you know, like a passionate musician since I was around six. I, I, I just felt a refuge in music. Uh, um, place of sanctuary and at first it was piano then you know I I didn't like you know I don't know something about uh, the lessons I was having it it kind of turned me off and then my first real real love was banjo and um, that led to guitar and then that led after some time to meeting Ali Akbar Khan Ali Akbar Khan. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I began a study with him that lasted uh, on and off for 40 years. And Kansab, I, at first I was learning Sarod for many, many years, you know, um, classical stringed instrument, as well as vocal music, Indian vocal music. And uh, <clears throat> although Kansab could be very irreverent, he was, you know, um, so deeply connected to both the ancient well of Hindustani music and what I would say the even more ancient well of pure, pure uh, uh, spiritually connected divine music. Sure. And, and so, you know, I became very close to him. I became part of his family. Uh, and then somewhere in my teenage years, I, I became involved with yoga and this was, you know, I'm, I'm 70 now. So, so this was quite a while ago. And, um, then when I was 19, I went to India, uh, much to Ali Akbar Khan's chagrin. He didn't want me to go. He said, I want you to stay here and study. You don't have to pay, just be, stay here. But you know, I, I was on a mission. I was on a spiritual mission. Um, and and I should uh, interject that I wasn't on a Hindu mission. Sure. I was on I was on a spiritual quest. Which and, and what year was this? Uh, I'm just placing it 60, in the context in the late sixties. Sixty nine, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and I would say I'm still on that spiritual quest. <laughs> you know. So I went to India and I met a man who became my guru. His name was Neem Karoli Baba. And through him and through being around him and his Indian disciples, I, I became, well, I, I had been singing some mantra and kirtan before even going to India uh, from being involved with these yoga groups with, that I had been involved with in, you know, 67, 66, 68, 69, you know, before going to India. And I had been really enjoying this uh, 
communal singing and, you know, we were young hippies and it was, it was really uplifting. But when, when I was with Maharaji, that's who, that's the name that we would use for Neem Karoli Baba, began to feel the real deep resonance of the chanting of the mantras and of, of Kirtan. And I feel received his blessing or, or maybe I could say, I, I felt like he, he planted the seed of both spiritual longing as well as a practice to nurture that longing into connectivity and to, um, uh, you know, a way to, to touch the presence and to call for the presence and, you know, to feel the presence. And then, well, you know, likewise to feel the absence, which is, mm-hmm. which is as profound as feeling the presence. And then, you know, I came back from India and, and, as a musician, I had many different um, uh, jobs, I guess you could say, or, or uh, different phases. But through it all, my personal practice con- continued, which was very private at first. My practice of uh, singing mantras mm-hmm. and, and praying and, and, you know, with the vehicle of these chants. And, and gradually that began to... Uh, more inter- intertwined with my public um, and, you know, professional musical life. Uh, and as uh, the yoga boom boomed, <laughs> um, uh, more and more I was asked to come and, and sing kirtan and sing mm-hmm. and chant and, and also to, to talk about it and, and, I won't say to teach it, but to share my experiences around it. And also, you know, to, to, well, now, uh, many, many years later, I I also find myself in the role of, of, of teaching how to play the harmonium and teaching how to sing these songs and teaching the Indian system of notes and Mm -hmm. and, and notation called Sargam. You know, uh, I don't teach classical Indian music, but, but, you know, I use the, language of classical Indian music um, to teach. And, and meanwhile, at this, you know, at the same time, my, my, I guess you could say my journey through devotional singing and devotional music, I, I sing, you know, recently I've been taking some of the old Testament Psalms and putting them to music and finding, you know, such a deep connection with mm-hmm. Again, this ancient, ancient tradition, of course, it's been translated and retranslated. So in a sense, it's not as authentic, but nonetheless, the power of, of you know, the words of Moses or the words of David from mm-hmm. ancient times. And then I, you know, I kind of put my own words with, with them. And I, you know, I feel the same intention and spiritual passion you could say in 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 those songs as well i I guess i guess that sort of answers that first question no it does um this was correct me on my history because i'm doing this off the top of my head but this was around the same time of ramdas krishnadas and neem karoli baba all coming together did did you overlap 
in, in, yes. in yes, of course. Well, well, I met Ramdas before I went to India. I, I was living in a kind of a homemade hippie ashram in Berkeley, where where we, you know, and this was, gosh, I was. 18. So I had, got, I, I went to Reed college in Oregon, in Portland, but I dropped out after the first semester. I failed music and I failed religion. And Hold on, you failed music and failed. Oh, there you go. And I, I, so I realized that it wasn't really for me. So, so I came down to the Bay area and started studying with Ali Khan and then hooked up with, with friends and we made this kind of yoga ashram in, in, in Berkeley. It, it was very free form. We were very young, but we were also very uh, passionate about what we were doing. And, and I went to, when Ramdas first came back from India, he gave some lectures in San Francisco. I went to see him and I was, I was very moved by that, by him. And, and, I actually invited him to come to our house. He came for a kirtan at our house. I won't say that we became close friends, but we we were, we you know, we met and we were mm-hmm. acquainted. And and then when I went to India, uh, well, I actually went to India to to see a different guru who I had thought that I was had grown attached to in a way and mm-hmm. but that that all completely fell apart yeah. and and a week later I was in Vrindavan and um the first people first person I met there was was Krishnadas uh. and um if I'm remembering correctly yes and Ramdas was there as well so so yeah, we were all there at the same time. And so a week after arriving in India, I was with Neem Karoli Baba and Krishnas and Ramdas. Mm-hmm. So let's jump forward a couple of decades. I mean, okay. your first album, uh, as at least that, that I'm aware of, is 1990, right? Footprints? Yes. That's from when, you know, I went back and I listened to that, you know, when we were preparing. I'd forgotten Don Cherry played on that. Don Cherry, like, at the time, it's funny, like, I discovered his music shortly after that came out and I didn't actually wasn't aware of that album until later, actually. But, you know, that's a largely an instrumental album. How did this transition come for you from playing what to use what I think is an awkward term world music, you know, because it's, of course, it's Western music than everybody else. But how did that transition come from playing that style of music to what seems to me to be focused almost exclusively on call and response. Well, I have to say that, well, for, first, before I say anything, yes, Don Cherry, uh, you know, one of the great people that I, that I've known in my life, troubled, very troubled guy, yeah. but um, such a elevated and beautiful heart and amazing musician. Yeah. I, I used to listen to that album, which one has brown rice on it. That, that song over and over and over and over again. I love that. I was just, just this morning, just an hour ago, I was reading about a uh, reissue of one of his albums. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Don told me that Footprints really was the last album that he played trumpet on. Huh. Um, you know, he, he had said he was having very bad troubles with his teeth mm-hmm. and, and his front teeth fell out. Yeah. And then he had, um, implants and, you know, so So basically his embouchure went 
Yeah. Website. Yeah. yeah. But uh, okay, so back, more back to the question though. I still feel that the music that I'm doing is world music. Mm-hmm. The um, and you know if you listen to my well, my last album, Rutrakrama, which is double album. Yeah. Yes, it's the the vocally it's call and response. Sure. Your time. But but the musical settings for each song are so varied and. And I use an Indian string orchestra mm-hmm. and um, uh, well, for some of the tracks, I have my old band Pagan Love Orchestra, uh, which was, you know, one of the first real world music bands that um, brought in Indian music. You know, I mean, there there was world music that uh, going on. And I and again, I know that the concept of world music is a little bizarre, but just using the phrase, you know, there yes, was a of lot of. A lot of African-based Western musicians with African music musicians going on, but there really wasn't any Western music combined with Indian music, except for perhaps the Beatles, you know, yeah. before I started doing it. And I'm still doing that. So that what, what has evolved is, well, particularly, you know, Footprints, I sang on two songs and Lakshmi Shankar sang on one song. But I was very, very shy about my singing for a long time. In fact, I wasn't singing at all until I studied with Ali Aparkhanan. And I only started singing because he demanded that his students, if they're learning sarod, if they're learning sitar, if they're learning tabla, they also had to study vocal music, Indian vocal music. He said... Um, you know, all our music comes from the voice and I won't teach you Sarod if you're not going to study vocal. But it was a long, long, decades long process of me finally be, being, um, I won't even say comfortable enough, but let me put it this way, comfortable, comfortable enough with my fear to bring my voice out into the public. I was very, very shy about singing. I was much more confident about instrumental music. So, um, you know, gradually my albums began to have a little bit more kirtan and then each album had one or two English songs. And, but, but what I found more and more that what I was asked from, you know, what were the, calls would you come here would you come here was uh, was was mostly to share kirtan um my band the pagan love orchestra which was you know a combination of indian music and jazz and rock it was so eclectic i loved it so much but um we you know we did we had a couple of great years but financially it was impossible to to keep it going. And I was, you know, I was disappointed to let it go. We, it's not like we broke up, you know, we're all right. friends and we, we work together. It wasn't one of those rock and roll implosions, right. <laughs> but, but I did, I did feel frustrated and, and, but as that happened, I, I started getting more and more and more calls for the Kirtan and, and actually then for a long time, it was just me and a tuba player and, and, there was something, you know, and my pagan love orchestra was a 12 piece band. So, <laughs> so there was something really lovely about yeah. getting, getting back to that intimate, uh, very spontaneous and, 
uh, you know, really close with the audience. And, um, and then as the yoga boom, as I said before, ex- expanded, you know, I found myself in all these yoga studios sure. and how delightful. Cause I had also just recently gotten sober. This was you know, 20 years ago. And so suddenly I, I wasn't playing in nightclubs anymore. I was playing in yoga studios yeah. and I was very happy about it. I also wasn't staying up to three in the morning, you know, all those things. So, um, but I don't feel like the exploration into quote world music, unquote, yeah. ended. Uh, like my album Thunder Love, you know, I began studying. Well, I met my wife, Nubia, mm-hmm. Nubia Teixeira, who's Brazilian. I met her 20 years ago and, and we fell in love and got married and well, life evolved in a beautiful way. But she introduced it introduced me to Brazilian music mm-hmm. and I began to study Brazilian music on the guitar with a fabulous teacher, a wonderful friend named Jose Neto. And so that started coming into the music. Uh, uh, Thunder Love is very, in a way is my favorite album of mine. It's an amazing mix of Brazilian and, and Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that album had some uh, elements of real classical Indian music superimposed on, on samba beats. And so, yes. So now uh, on the, my last two albums, it's 90% call and response kirtan. Mm-hmm. And yet the musical settings to me are still the exploration of, of that beautiful, not mental, not, uh, what's the word? Not, dilettantish but the mm-hmm. beautiful exploration of merging cultures I, I consider it an exploration that i started on footprints mm-hmm. with with deep respect sure i mean I, I i went down that line of questioning when i was writing down these questions because you, your music has spanned the entire time that i have been aware of the of yoga i started practicing in 1994, maybe 93, somewhere in there. And I've seen all sorts of changes, obviously, from over the past three decades. And at that time, yoga was a niche thing, an underground thing in many ways. Yeah. It was still had some of the countercultural leaning to it. Whereas now, of course, it is a multi million, billion dollar business. How how I guess I'm looking for a reflection on that because you have a, a you have a history before that and I just come in at that beginning and I've seen that so what, what do you how has it changed to you in terms of audiences in terms of how people interact with your music well there the, <clears throat> I'm a very allergic lately um, there, there's beautiful sides to it and, and perhaps some negative sides, uh, on, on purely the career level, it's, it's, it's great to have a, you know, my audience has expanded quite a bit. Uh, you know, I used to go do gigs, kirtans in, in yoga studios with 12 people there. And, you know, in a sense the the intimacy of that was, just so fabulous. And now I sing at festivals and there's thousands of people and, 
And so that's pretty great, you know? Yet at the same time, well, I, you know, I, I won't comment so much about the yoga world, but in the, in the kirtan world, um, you see the, the, the intermingling of a very American um, uh, psychological imprints of celebrity and mm-hmm. being a star and, and uh, being on stage and the ego trappings of that and commercialization and the ease of making an album these days, you know, it's not very much ease of making money from an album. That's another story, but yeah, you know, that almost anyone can make a record. Uh, I mean, a, you know, a recording sure. and there's a way that, well, you know, people come to me who just recently discovered Kirtan and say, this is just an example. I love this so much. Uh, I've found this three months ago, Kirtan, and it's just transformed me. I want to make an album. Hmm. And I say to them, you know, why don't you, I mean, since you're asking me, why don't you sing, uh, engage yourself in this practice for 10 years? And then think about if you want to make an album or not. And if, and if this advice doesn't resonate, all I can say is ask yourself, try to ask yourself deeply, why do you want to make an album? And then I leave it at that because I, it's not for me to tell people what to do or what not to do, unless they really ask me. Um, uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so, so, you know, everyone wants to be a rock star. And that has just um, become inextricably intertwined with the bhakti movement. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to put it down because I also feel like it's such a beautiful thing. I I have such reverence for these mantras and for the practice of chanting these mantras that on one hand, I think, Everyone who's chanting, that's wonderful. You know, whatever, wherever you're coming from, just the fact that you're singing these chants and these mantras is, is that's powerful. You know, it's transformational. On the other hand, um, it dismays me a little sometimes to see the shallowness of it. Sure. This, this leads into something that I know we, I don't know where we actually lend it, uh, left it in our pre-interview communication but let's uh, let's talk about it i mean the word you know uh, cultural appropriation you know for westerners coming to this you started to go there with people wanting to record albums but you know before that even before having that urge if you want to come to this tradition how do you begin and how do you think people can 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 engage with this without falling into cultural appropriation where's the line between say appropriation and appreciation well, I think it has to do with sincerity and study and, and respect, reverence, and time. Um, the tradition is, is, as you know, as we know, is very, very deep and very, very old. And... Um, very, very rich. And I think 
one needs to have the intention to really explore deeply before putting on the Indian shirt and going out to the world and, and saying, this is me. Um, I really can only speak for myself. And, and so that's what I'll do. I, you know, I studied this music and the bhakti tradition and continued to study it very, very deeply, you know, since I was a teenager. Um, I didn't put out my first album until I was around 40. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that this makes me great or cool or anything like that, but uh, I am saying that my, my reverence and my respect for the tradition and, you know, just diving deeper and trying to find it not as the tradition is there and what can I get from it, but trying to be as authentic in my own soul as I, as I studied and as I practiced and as I, um, you know, uh, immersed myself in, in raga and in mantra and enchanting and, um, what, where in my own soul is, is it, ex is what part of my own soul is being expressed? Not, mm -hmm. How can I imitate that and take that on as a new me? You know, no, it, it's like, um, how is this practice resonating in the authenticity of what and who Jai is? Mm -hmm. um, and like, let's find that deeper. And oh, no, I can't, you know, like going through periods like I can't stand this anymore. And then, <clears throat> but then sticking with practice and then going deeper again and, and, and being with teachers who are, are real masters, like on the musical side, Ali Akbar Khan, uh, there, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it, it was the greatest musician or maybe the handful of the top greatest musicians in the world. And then being with a guru like Neem Karoli Baba and with my spiritual mo mother, uh, Sidima, who are, Oh, such, such, uh, you know, amazing souls. Not, And they're not like, okay, I'm initiating you into Hinduism. There's nothing like that. No. There was never anything like that. It's like, uh, who, who are you? How can you most deeply express yourself? I mean, they're saying to me, they didn't say it with words, but, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how can you, um, how can the internal landscape of your heart, how can that touch God and goddess? Mm -hmm. uh, and whether it's, you know, through the vehicle of chanting these mantras or whether it's the, through the vehicle of playing banjo, but, but how can you awaken your heart to connect to the divine heart? Mm -hmm. So, so I've been accused of cultural appropriation. I've been told that my ancestors raped the ancestors of the modern Indians, Indians, and where the fact was that my ancestors were being raped in the in in the ghettos of Eastern Europe. But, you know, I'm a Jewish ancestry, and so I feel like, well, everybody, especially during the pandemic, <laughs> where the what, what is it called, cancel culture became. Yeah. 
really big. I mean, it was like so locked into their houses they had to find somebody to be mad at. Um, but I know in my, in my own heart that I haven't appropriated the culture. I've deeply, deeply, deeply explored certain aspects of the culture. Mm. You know, I don't wear Indian clothes and I never did. I mean, I do when I'm visiting ashrams in India, you know, of course, out of respect, but in my own home life, uh, that's not me. Um, but there is the bhakti tradition that comes from ancient India has really spoken to me as a way for my own soul to connect to God. Sure. Um, I, and other people, I can't say. Yeah. I mean, I can say, but I won't say. <laughs> Understood. Okay. I mean, so as a practitioner of bhakti yoga, what does your daily spiritual practice look like? Well, you know, um, as a father and as a person in the family, uh, every day is, is different. And, um, you know, in the general sense, I, I try to, to live from my heart. And I'm also a person in recovery and I, and I, uh, which also asks that we live in truth and, and self, um, you know, uh, real self-examination on a daily basis. And so it's always a challenge and always a beautiful challenge to be a father of a teenager and be a husband. We've been married 20 years and to try to stay in truth and to try to stay in honesty and, and, and love. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of an over overlying principle. Um, first thing I do, but as far as a daily committed practice of every day, when I wake up in the morning, I spend a little time saying some prayers and, uh, both in English and in Sanskrit and, um, you know, asking and hoping and uh, setting the intention to, live my day in alignment with, with the divine. And then before bed, then, then I, I, I have a little temple room and before bed, I, I sing and I pray and I do japa and, um, uh, you know, and I never miss that. Sometimes I'm tired and it's a little more superficial and sometimes I'm not, and it gets very deep, you know, but as a practice, it's the only time I skip it is if I'm if like, like I'm really sick or something. I, I just recently had pretty intense spinal surgery. Oh. So I tried to keep it up, but it was, it was hard for a little while, but in general, that's the consistent practice. Now, when my, my, when my days are open, then through the day, I, I spend a lot of time with music and with singing. Um, but I don't have a set hour or something like that. Sure. Perhaps, you know, I've never had that sense of dif discipline. I know some composers and musicians will always say that, okay, between, for example, 11 and two in the day, they're always practicing. Well, when I was studying with, when I was much younger studying Sarod with Ali Khan, I did live like that, but not now. Mm -hmm. um, some days are quite busy and I don't get a chance in the day, but other days, you know, it really depends on, on how the day is going. And, and I, you know, it's what I do. It's like 
when there's nothing other business to tend to like i'm i'm just releasing an album mm-hmm. um it's coming out on august 4th and there's a lot of busy work around that which and promoting my events my kirtan camps or concerts so it takes a lot of time it, so sometimes I'm not able to spend hours during, during the day, but that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, my instruments are always close at hand. So one thing I've noticed, you know, both in your recordings and certainly your live events is that you seem to sing as much to Shiva and Durga as Ram, Krishna, Sita, Radha. And that I think is a point of distinction between some of the Kirtan Wallas coming out of ISKCON that are, you know, popular and, and if you follow this scene are aware of, does that, where does that come from? Does that come from your guru? Does that come from you? Where does, how does that come about? Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'll preface to say that some of the younger um, singers and musicians coming out of ISKCON, there's a handful of them that are really close friends of, yeah. of mine. And, and we love, I love singing and playing with them. It's such musicality and such, passion so you know we're friends yeah yeah, i I don't ask that in a point of you know comparing it's just it's interesting to me because one thing it it attracts me to your music is that it it is that variety because i don't come from iscon and 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 it's a little bit broader so i was curious well you know i was always wondered uh my guru when you would walk into his temples his ashrams usually the first deity that you would see is Hanuman. Right. And, and, uh, you know, the, the worship of Hanuman is, well, it's already, you know, Hanuman is a, uh, incarnation of Shiva and Hanuman is the devotee of Ram. So it's already a, like a, um, a great Hanuman. I always think of him as the, the, you know, he reunited Ram and Sita. He's the glue, you know, but then you walk further into the temple and, and the next deity you see is, is Durga or Vaishnavi Devi. And, and that's not normal in Indian temples. And then you walk further in and 24 hours a day, you hear the Hare Krishna mantra. So uh, this combination. Yeah. I, I don't know of any other temples in India and I've been to many that, that have this kind of, uh, a conglomeration of, of different pathways. Mm. And so uh, one time, you know, this is kind of funny, but one time a, a friend from ISKCON, I was on my way to India and, and after Maharaji died, the temple was taken care of by his elder devotee, Siddhima, a wonderful uh, elder lady. So my friend from ISKCON said, could you ask? Siddhima, why Maharaji had, why this was, and particularly why did he have the uh, Hare Krishna mantra sung in his Hanuman slash Durga temple? And so I, when I spoke to Siddhima and I asked her, and the first thing she said, you know, it was very, it was kind of very ironic and beautiful. The first thing she said was, why not? <laughs> uh, and then in a very, very, very uh, Indian style of uh, speaking, she said, 
referring to her Krishna mantra, she said, this mantra contains all of God's names. So I'm thinking, wait a second, there's only three words in this mantra. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then she said, and furthermore, in this day and age, if you don't sing God's names, your limbs won't become attached, won't be, won't stay attached to your body. (laughs) So she, you know, I mean, metaphorically. (laughs) And so she completely bypassed the question and basically said, you know, just keep singing because this is, this is the soul connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as many teachers have said in the Kali Yuga, uh, the chanting of mantras is the easiest and most effective path. Now I would never tell anybody, you know, this is the best path. That's not, that's not anything I would ever say, but I know it's the best path for me. And, and, uh, Siddhi Ma was just sort of reaffirming, but she didn't give me any real historical answer to that question. <laughs> but, but yes, that, that goes into my, you know, the way I share Kirtan. I, uh, you know, I, if I could say, which I won't because it's not really true, but I will anyway, you know, I would usually start uh, with invocation to my guru mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> And I would, we usually sing Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, because, you know, Hanuman is, is, is really the center of my practice. And as, as it was central to my guru and chanting Ram, you know, Maharaji, well, this is the mantra that I feel he gave me. And he said, when you say Ram, the impossible becomes possible. And so I'll usually start with, that or sitaram or something like that and sometimes it will be more traditional with the harmonium or sometimes it won't be i'll play guitar you know and then well oh then it's whatever i feel like singing mm-hmm. to the goddess singing to shiva singing to raja and krishna you know whatever my mood is and and eh, well when i play with a big band we rehearse and I make a set list when I play with a very small ensemble. I never have a set list. And, and it's, you know, it's like, come on guys, follow what I'm doing. And, <laughs> and, that, and yeah. I love that spontaneity. But so sometimes, you know, messes up, but musically, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now that coronavirus restrictions are loosening up, do you plan on going back on the road when? No, I don't plan on going back on the road. Uh, I have to say that being on the road, again, I'll say that I'm 70, remind the world. <laughs> <laughs> and and being on the road has been, <clears throat> you know, I love singing and playing music and sharing that with people. Um, but traveling and being on airplanes and being in different beds each night has been a, a, a challenge, a really hard challenge for me for years. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't been able to stop doing it because I I have no I don't have any other idea of how to support my family. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't want to just put it that way because there's a deep joy and a sense of fulfillment in sharing my music and my path and my passion with audiences everywhere. So, you know, it's never, I couldn't say that it's just about money, but um, I, I found more and more that I would come back from these trips sick, bronchitis, pneumonia, um, and gradually uh, worsening of a back condition that started when I was around 19. Hmm. So, you know, so it was like, well, what am I going to do? What to do? I've got to cut back, got to cut back, but never quite cutting back. Well, I did cut back. I, I cut back drastically when I, when our child was born, because when, you know, I was traveling a lot and, you know, for the first two years, my wife and my child and I, my son, we were all traveling together, but then it changes, you know, and, um, and I, one day I looked at my son and said to myself, well, if I, travel even a week out of every month by the time you're 20 i'm gonna have missed five years of your life Mm. and that was not gonna happen so i did cut back but still even that and it affected my career but but it was worth it you know um but even that was feeling like too much on my health on my psyche um so then suddenly the, the uh, pandemic hit and I was home. We started doing a, a lot of online teaching and a lot of online work. Well, you know, I've done Kirtan camps, beautiful, like lovely events two times a year for, well, this would have been the 20th year. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, a lot, you know, yeah. and they were always events that my family would participate in. My wife would teach yoga. My son would just run around and <laughs> be himself. You know, I, I always thought that the, the pra- spiritual practices should be inclusive of one's family, not exclusive. Yeah. Anyway, so we did the Kirtan camp online, which at first was, you know, putting it together was not easy. But we put together what I thought was a really beautiful program. And then we did a level two and many live stream concerts and live stream workshops and managed to share a lot and make somewhat of an income. Now, I don't know if that's going to still be sustainable once people are really going out. I I have a couple of in-person gigs scheduled for my area and I'm very excited for that um and I imagine I will drive down to your area yeah uh, as soon as we put something together but as far as being on the road and touring I'm looking at you know maybe a couple of trips a year and I shouldn't say a couple maybe four trips short yeah because I can't you know I I want to to share with a in other places, but I want that aspect of my work to be much less, much less. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it means, you know, really cutting back in our spending and whatnot, that's okay. Yeah. And and my wife is, is also, maybe she's teaching a lot online and she'll, she'll start teaching in person again. Um, 
you know, I also, when you look globally, there's a lot of uncertainty as far as COVID. Here in California, well, at least in the Bay Area, I'm not, I know LA has reinstated or suggested some more restrictions. Well, they've suggested wearing masks in indoor settings of, yeah, I, I don't know the exact wording of it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's minimal and, and Bay area is, is doing so well. And, but other parts of the world and even other parts of the country aren't, I don't think that this is over. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not, I have one traveling gig scheduled. Well, it's also, um, I'm, you know, it's a long healing on this spinal surgery. So, <clears throat> you know, I was invited to a festival next month on the East coast and I'm not ready to fly. Sure. I'm walking, I'm doing a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm much better, but carrying luggage and carrying instruments. That's yeah, not yeah. happening to me till, till sure. Well, so I have a trip planned for Costa Rica in January of 2022. Where and in Costa Rica? At Blue Spirit oh, yes. Retreat. And it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a chanting festival. Yeah. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. If everything is fine as far as COVID and the, the variants and whatnot. And, um, I've got my fingers crossed and I think it's going to be okay, but I don't think anything is certain right now. Yeah. So um, I'm very excited to do some good local gigs. I, you know what I miss? I miss playing with other musicians. Yeah. You know, that everything I've done during the, the COVID lockdown has been solo, which, which has been amazing for me to develop that, sort of skill to convey my music in yeah. a solo context, but boy, I miss playing with a drummer. I miss. Well, there, I mean, there, there's something, especially with Kirtan though. It's the, it's the physical in as much as it's the chanting for me, at least it's the physical being there with other people doing it and you feel it. And maybe it's some of it, maybe this is different for, for you. If you have a monitor on stage, cause you can hear yourself or theoretically can hear yourself. But if you're in the audience, you can't hear yourself singing. So you just feel the vibration of it and you feel it around you. So that's a totally different, you can't have that online. No, you can't. And, and so we've done our best and, and I will say that, that my singing and my chanting have become very um, chilled out (laughs) because it doesn't have, in a beautiful way, I think, but because it, but it doesn't have that, feedback loop that, right. that, you know, you get in a, in a, and all group of a sudden of you're paying, you're paying, playing 50% faster. Cause everyone's yeah. just speeding up the whole time <laughs> and louder. And, and that, and that, that that's beautiful. And, you know, uh, these, these gigs that I have coming up, I'm wondering, am I going to have the energy to, to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll see, but it'll be great to just be with people. Yeah. So how can, um, actually, before I ask this question, is there anything, that we haven't discussed that you want to? Well, I, I would love to ask people to keep their eyes and their ears open to my upcoming album, which is called Let Me Burn. And, you know, this is the first album that is primarily just a digital release. Mm-hmm. But I am um, making a very small run of CDs uh, just because I 
I'm so old school. I have to, I have to have something solid. Yeah. You know, I can't think, Oh, where's your music? Oh, it's all in the cloud. Um, <laughs> so how, how can, how can people, if they want the physical CD, get it? And do you have a preferred source for listening for streaming? How would you pay it or does it matter? Well, uh, for streaming, you know, I, I mean, I'm more tuned into Spotify, okay. but, but whatever, uh, people, whatever people choose, you know, um, the release date is August 4th. There's five songs and, um, we have a bunch of guests. I have, uh, David Pramal and Mitem are singing with me and, and Chicago children's choir and, uh, Yeah, it's really rich. I, I do consider it, in a way, my COVID album, because uh, why? Because a lot of it was done remotely. Yeah, and and uh, you know, wasn't people in the studio? And then there's there's one track that's very long, and it's just me chanting with a harmonium, no production. It's very deep. It's, I've never done that before. I mean, I I've never done it on a recording before. Put it that way. And um, I guess the best way to for people to tune into would be find it on my website, which is jayutal.com and and or Instagram or but, you know, my website has all the information of all the things that I'm doing. So I would uh, love it if people went to my website and and if they see me on YouTube and if they find me on Spotify to, to like and share and spread it around. That's, right. that's really, you know, it's a funny time these days with, uh, with music and, and, you know, likes and streams, uh, finding one's self-esteem in streams. <laughs> okay. And with that, we'll let people ponder finding your self-esteem in streams. You Thank know, you. I'm, you know, I'm saying that with irony, right? Yes, 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 of course. Of course. I mean, I, we're all laughing about it because that's all we can do. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at www.hinduamerican.org slash donate. And before you go, a quick message. The Hindu American Foundation proudly supports We Can Do This, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services nationwide COVID-19 and vaccine education campaign. Our community has been hit hard by COVID-19, and many of us need help in getting educated about how we can get vaccinated. Our organization is working hard to ensure our community has access to important information in our fight against COVID. Learn about COVID-19 vaccinations and get help scheduling your vaccination at vaccines.gov. We can do this.